Good morning. Today is Sunday, July the 9th, 2017. We're at the Fount Church in Fountain Valley, California through the Bible Sunday School class. We've been studying the book of Proverbs. We're going to pick it up at chapter 19, verse 13, with George Mulak opening us in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We give you glory and praise and honor and ask you to reveal yourself in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have uh, had jumped into Proverbs, if you remember, out of two chronicles, the, the coronation of Sol, Sol, uh, Solomon. We are going to get back to Second Chronicles. I actually didn't think it would take us quite so long to get through Proverbs. <laughs> but nonetheless, we still have a good 10 chapters to go. <laughs> so we'll see what we can do here this morning. Picking it up at 1913, a foolish son is a ruin to his father. And a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. <laughs> yeah, I have to remember that. Um, he was going to go on here in the next verse to talk about how a prudent wife is from the Lord. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. You can't get a good wife from your father. You get it from the Lord. Maybe your father can have his eye on a good one, like Eliezer found uh, Rebecca mm -hmm. for Isaac. Mm -hmm. But a prudent wife is from the Lord, so don't you forget it, you gentlemen. <laughs> Hopefully we're not dripping like the rain. Um, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. I know we had this passage before, but the classic New Testament verse on this regard comes to us in 2 Thessalonians, last chapter, chapter 3. At verse 10, for even when we were with you, we, we would give you this command. Here's the command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work. And if you're not busy at work, he says you're busy bodies, but busy bodies. <laughs> so that's 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Best New Testament verse that we were meant to mimic the Lord himself, who worked for six days and rested on the seventh. Mm -hmm. The Sabbath is a joy to the believer, and it should be protected. I know that tax season encroaches sometimes on my ability to keep a Sabbath. But you do need downtime, but you do have to work. Six days of working, one day of resting. That's the Lord's ratio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we find that there are folks that like more days of resting than working, and the Bible speaks against it. The thing about working is it's health to us. You'll see people that they just crave the day of their retirement. Now, when they retire, they kind of see themselves getting up, doing whatever they want to, whenever they want to. But a lot of those folks pass very quickly. They call them couch potatoes, the ones that decide they need more resting than working. A lot of retired folks today, because of various issues with the stock market, have found that they work part-time. Mm -hmm. And I think in a way that's good, you know? Um, you need something to do. You can definitely consider you have more opportunity for ministry when you don't have to go to work every day. Mm -hmm. When you do have to go to work every day, that is your ministry. Mm -hmm. And you have to look for those opportunities. I'm always glad to be self-employed because 
if someone wants to talk, I don't have to worry that I'm using up my boss's time because my boss is me. So I asked me, can I talk to them about the Lord? Yes, you can. (laughs) But, um, okay. So no slothfulness. You'll suffer hunger. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. The commands of the Lord are good. Therefore are good. He who despises his ways will die. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Um, I don't know if I can find this. There's a psalm that speaks to this too. I was listening to it sung yesterday. It's Psalm 41. Blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. And in his illness, you restore him to full health. That's the one who considers the poor. The New Testament passage, Jesus himself speaking to us, is at Matthew chapter 25. And at verse 31... He says, when the, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. You know this is the final judgment. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So those on the right were the sheep. And here's how he uh, talks about them, inheriting the kingdom prepared for them. Because why? I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, we know this is still the group on the right, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we do these things? And we know he says, the king will say, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So they were doing their righteous deeds, but not recognizing they were actually doing what Proverbs said. They were lending to the Lord. So we get the impression then that the group on the left, which is at verse 41, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. So they did the reverse, if you read to the end. So something to keep in mind, consider the poor. There is a reward in it. Not that we do it for the reward, but there is a reward in it. At the judgment day, but also in this life, as Psalm 41 says, the Lord will repay him for his deed. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. In other words, to not discipline him is to give him too much leash that will ultimately destroy him. Disciplining is hard for parents, harder for mothers, I think, than for fathers. Mm -hmm. Um, Our kids wrap us around their little fingers and we're too connected sympathetically with them. So thank God for fathers. And I really think... In today's times, this is one of the reasons we have so many unruly children is we have so many single family mm-hmm. homes. You've got moms killing themselves, working, trying to, you know, make ends meet 
and you come home and you're tired, disciplining your children is not first on your list. Surviving is first on your list. So um, discipline is a good thing. Hebrews tells us that the Lord disciplines us because we're sons. If we don't have discipline, it's because we're not sons. They have a word for that called a bastard, an illegitimate mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. Discipline and sonship go hand in hand. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. So a man of great wrath, controlling your anger, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. There's a good sovereignty verse. Um, probably one of my favorite sovereignty verses comes from Peter's Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2. Verse 23, where he tells them they have culpability for the death of Jesus, but also that it was God's plan that Jesus would die. So Peter says at verse 23 of Acts 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So you killed him. And it was the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And that is a mystery that we have culpability. Yet God, even using the wicked deeds of men for his own purpose. And we can't always understand it. And I don't think we will understand it because it's not all been revealed to us. We should try to understand the things that have been revealed to us. And some we cannot understand because we are in a finite sphere. But the plans in the mind of a man, the purpose of the Lord, that it will stand. What is desired in a man is steadfast love. And a poor man is better than a liar. So rich people that lie, not so good as poor man with steadfast love. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. I got a good definition of the fear of the Lord that I liked very much. The fear of the Lord is not a distrustful terror of God, but a reverent awe and a worshipful response of faith to the God who reveals himself as creator Savior and judge. We don't talk a lot about God as judge because the last judgment is going to be a fearful thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think the church needs to resume their preaching of it. We preach the creator and savior part pretty well, but the judge part, that there is a final day, that there are sheep, that there are goats like we read, mm -hmm. that there is a day when you can't get any more oil in your lamp, that there is a day you're asking for the rocks to fall on you. We need to preach that day too because that in and of itself will cause some to have enough fear of God to consider submitting their lives to him. The final judgment will be a reward for some in a day of horribleness for others. We have Lazarus and the rich man. We have many passages in the New Testament 
that talk about that there is a day of judgment. And of course, even the Old Testament prophets like Joel talked about the final days. And we know that there will be a second return of Christ and that he is the judge of the living and the dead, as we say in our own creeds. So just something to keep in mind, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> Maybe is that when they drop the grapes in because you can't bring the grape up to your own mouth. The sluggard is held in disregard in all of Proverbs. Strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. You know, that gets back to that whole discipline concept. When you're moving in the things of God, to be disciplined by God moves you into more knowledge of God. Whereas the scoffer, the simple, you know, you have to strike them. Just a word of reproof. That's why you want to sensitize your heart so you can hear the Holy Spirit reprove you. So God doesn't need to smack you around. You just go, oh, that was wrong. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have said that to that person. I shouldn't have. That's a good thing. The conscience seared by a hot iron is not a good thing. Then God has to knock you around. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. That's the backslider. That gets back to that verse we just had about not accepting reproof. A man of understanding will, will grow in knowledge as he accepts reproof. A worthless witness. We talked a lot about lying witnesses, false witnesses, a worthless witness mocks at justice. If God is righteous and full of justice, to mock justice is to mock God, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. So that ends chapter 19. 20. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. You know... Enjoy your drink, but do not go overboard with it because it will bring you to trouble. Mm -hmm. Alcohol addiction today is a very, very, touches a lot of people. The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. This is actually a repeat from uh, verse uh, uh, 12 of the previous chapter, which is where we left it last week. When I was opening my Bible this week, I was thinking, oh, yes, we're starting chapter 20. But then I realized, no, we're not. That's just the same verse at 12, a king's wrath, like the growling of a lion. Um, I would say at the time, you know, they knew earthly kings. We don't know earthly kings, especially people in America. We have a democracy. We have elected officials. They didn't elect their kings. They had to sort of take whoever came in the dynasty whether they were Judah or the pagan nations. So they learned to fear a king. Coming into a king's presence was to prostrate yourself and beg for mercy. Because of that, I think they had a better understanding of God as king. 
than mm-hmm. we do because we're very flippant. We make fun of all our elected officials. They're not kings. We have freedom of press. We can say whatever we want, and people are, as you know, <laughs> saying whatever they want. But I do say that if we had a king and there was this kind of terror of a king, people would understand the fear of God better. So I think they're a little too flippant about the king they cannot see with their physical eyes and that he is going to rule the nations one day. That this is something that's foreign to our concept, but there is a King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Yeah, when you see uh, strife coming, you always want to calm the waters. It will not come to any good. Even if you know you're at a complete point of disagreement, fighting will not solve very much. Make it worse most of the time. Mm -hmm. The slugger does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So diligence in work is highly acclaimed in Proverbs. We have had it multiple spots. No good will come to the sluggard. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. My Bible, that was a strange verse to me. This is what the commentator says. If deep water refers to truth deeply hidden in the heart, the wise person is seen as one who can draw such wisdom to the surface and bring it to expression. That's what my Bible said. But it's a very interesting verse. A man of understanding will draw it out. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. So we would reword that today, say, you know, uh, the difference between your talk and your walk. Talk, Walk the talk. So proclaiming your own steadfast love, okay, fine, but are you faithful? The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil from his eyes. This is, this is actually how God designed that those that are in position of leadership should use their position to put down evil. When a person that rises to power uses their power for evil, that will be judged. Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. That's someone that just doesn't really know and understand. Mm-hmm. We'll go back to 1 John at chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So no one can say, I have made my heart pure. At Matthew 15, actually, I had to look this one up the other day, but this was my Lutheran pastor that I first met. This was one of his famous teaching verses. And he would say it all the time, especially to people that thought they were righteous. And at 15, this is what Jesus will say about the heart. 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, False witness, we've had all these in Proverbs, slander. These are what defile a person. Okay, for out of the heart. All men's hearts precede those things. 
If you've never been shocked with the own evil in your own heart, you know, um, we have a neighbor uh, who is um, on our HOA board. She is so hard for me, so hard. And she slung one of her little slingers the other day. And what rose in my heart, oh, I wanted to slap her. Okay. And um, I almost think sometimes that the unregenerate in the spirit recognize the generate. And there's something that rises in them that they want to slap us because their own heart condemns them. But I don't know. I sometimes wonder about that because I've done nothing to this person. Okay? That's how we know our hearts are so evil. Yes. what rises out of them when we're tried, when we have our, our patients tried. They'll say, oh, he's got such a good heart. Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds. That is the truth about us. That's what our hearts are. We should never lie to ourselves about it. That's what it is. And that's why we're constantly trying to be with the Lord so that we can uh, crucify our flesh. But we are out of time. And maybe Murray would close us in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we ask you that we could... uh just digest, digest it over and over again that, uh, that we might make it part of our, our lives, that we actually might live the word that you speak. We ask you to go with us now into the service, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to Bible Study Verse by Verse with Vicki Mulak. For more of these podcasts and some resources, please go to our website at www.biblestudyvbv.org. O-R-G. That's www.biblestudy, V as in Victor, B as in boy, V as in Victor. The VBV stands for versebyverse.org, O-R-G. There you can register and contact us, or just leave a comment. We welcome your feedback. Thank you. This is George Mulek.